ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Thanks as always, Howard Finkel. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. What a podcast in store for you this week. First of all, you knew I had to check out at least a little bit of Tough Enough before I recorded this week's podcast. I know, you're thinking to yourself, but Sam, Tough Enough's on Tuesday night. The podcast comes out overnight on Wednesday. How topical can you get? Oh, you have no idea how topical I can get. I'm like an ointment. That's how topical I can get. But beyond that, we'll talk about Tough Enough. Of course, everything going on with this whole Hulk Hogan thing. There's no way that State of Wrestling was going to get by without talking about that. But first, as great as it was hearing from uh, the last few guests on the podcast, people like Alex the Pug Porto, people like Jim Cornette, it's time to get back to some of the headliners of today. And there is no bigger headliner of today, one could argue, than the Yes Man, Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan's on the podcast this week. I was super excited to talk to him. Now, I've talked to Daniel Bryan a bunch of times before, and you can find all those interviews on YouTube. In fact, we referenced one of the older ones on this interview, but this was uh, the most time I've ever had with him. I've never had uh, this much time, and I think it's the first time I've ever gotten to sit down in a studio with Daniel Bryan, and that's always uh, that's always just a different atmosphere. You get to sit down, you get to talk, you get to... It's, it's, it's better. I like it a lot better when you get to sit down in a studio and talk to these guys for an extended period of time just because you get to know them. You get to uh, build up a, a repartee with them. But you also get to the bottom of a lot, and that's what we did with Daniel Bryan. I mean, of course, the new book is out. It's called Yes, My Improbable Journey to WrestleMania. And it's a great book for wrestling fans because it's about Daniel Bryan's entire wrestling career. It goes into how he got into the business. It goes into training with Shawn Michaels, his original WWE contract when he was 18 years old. It goes into his uh, indie career, heading into Ring of Honor, getting back to WWE, getting fired again from WWE for the big NXT invasion angle, going back to the indies, coming back to WWE and everything that led to uh, uh, the big WrestleMania main event. Now, everybody's, you know, talked about some of the headlines from the book. The, that's I always hate that. What happens is these books come out, and inevitably websites put out the top 10 things I learned in this book. And then every interview you hear is about those top 10 things because nobody reads the book. Everybody just finds the list, and they go... Oh, what was it like when Sheamus walked in on you and Bree having sex? What was it like when you and Triple H got into a fight? What was it like? And, and you hear the same things over and over again. So I wanted to not only avoid that because it was everywhere, but also, you know, we get to do a real wrestling interview with the guy. And it's a book, which means I always love it when people come in to promote books because that means everything's on the table. It's not like we're promoting WrestleMania, so we have to stick to what's going on right now. It's It's a book about his life, which means we can talk about – the whole thing. We talked about uh, his injury, what's kept him out of wrestling right now, when he might be back. Uh, I talked to him about the, the NXT invasion, of course. I mean, I talked to him about everything. Unfortunately, this interview took place to probably 18 hours before the Hulk Hogan news broke. I would love to have spoken to Daniel Bryan about what he thought about everything going on with Hulk Hogan, but it was, it's by the, when I recorded this interview, it was about 18 hours before that news broke. So we didn't get into that, but we got into just about everything else. Uh, here he is, the Yes Man, Daniel Bryan, on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. We welcome Daniel Bryan to the Sam Roberts studio. How's it going, man? Oh, it's going really well. What's the haps? I mean... I don't know what that means. So. <laughs> Most people don't. Yeah. <laughs> but you got a book out. That's what it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why I'm here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah it's the, uh, People don't just want to talk to me. They like, <laughs> you know, it's, the, it's like, oh, we need you to go these places to promote this book that right. you're, you've written. I'm just here for good conversation, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> well, they got this book out now, and it's like even when you're hurt, you still have to do media. Yeah. Like, they got you on these ridiculous – what happened – with your injury, like what? What exactly are you injured with? Why are you not wrestling? Okay, uh, so I got a concussion in April. 
Okay. And that's the deal. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Was that in the Sheamus match? Uh, no, it was in a uh, like a tag match the next week. Oh, uh, so it wasn't the one with the no, no, with no, the no, blood. No, and no, the... no, 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 no. Yeah, it wasn't the one with the blood. What? So, how did how did that one happen? Because I was I, I I was watching. Did you crack your head on a monitor? No, I headbutted Seamus. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, and it's funny because the same thing happened to Dolph. Right, uh -huh. literally like a week later, he <laughs> also headbutted Seamus. And it's funny because Dolph and I were headbutting each other at like WrestleMania, and then the next night at Raw, like. They were like the headbutts were strong, you know. So they were, and neither of us got busted open. Both of us attempted to headbutt Sheamus, and we both ended up just bloody. immediately. <laughs> yeah. You would think though, with somebody who suffered concussions, that you would know how to headbutt without cracking your own head open. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You you would think. You would think. You would think. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sometimes sometimes I get a little bit frisky out there. I guess. So. so yeah. <laughs> And is that one of those things, like, do you get in trouble when you get back there and you're bleeding, or is it, do they just chalk it up to, okay, sometimes so he gets frisky? It was, no, um, I think what happened, because Seamus has a reputation of just kind of, like, laying stuff in pretty, pretty, yeah. pretty heavy. I think they blamed it on Seamus at first. Like, when I got <laughs> to the back, people were like, but I was like, no, no. Like, we had a very physical match. Like, uh -huh. it was a very, like, and I enjoy that style. There's not, you can't do that with everybody, right? right. You know, like, uh. But I like doing that with Seamus. Seamus and I like to go out there and like kind of beat the crap out of each other. You know, it's part, you know, it's a weird thing to say that that's something that I enjoy. It makes me seem like I have some sort of weird fetish or about putting yeah. a, putting on my underwear and then getting beat up by <laughs> other men. I, <laughs> so, I dated a girl in high school that I was trying to explain wrestling to. Yeah, and they were like, so they know who's gonna win. I was like, yeah. And they were, she was like, but they're really hurting each other a lot of the times. So I was like, yeah. And she was like, is it like sadomasochism? Yeah. I was like, no, what? No, no. Stop putting those thoughts in my head. Yeah, yeah. that's, what? Yeah. You got it all wrong. Yeah, yeah, no. So, so yeah, no, but uh, they were, then they, Bree was the one who was upset with me. Bree, because she was sitting there watching as they're putting these stitches in my, in my forehead. And she's like. You are so stupid. <laughs> and I don't know if those are the, the exact words. She probably was being nicer about it, but my but, internal monologue was right. her saying, you are so stupid. That's the sentiment. <laughs> yeah. What was disguised? I thought, what did you think? Did you get approached to write this book? Or was yes. it something that you kind of wanted to do? Yeah, no, they approached me to write the book. I, uh, I would have never like just thought to be like, hey. I, my story needs my to be told. My story needs to be told. <laughs> somebody needs to tell this. Yeah. You know, whether it's me or somebody else, somebody come follow me around for a little bit. Right, know, right. So. Let me explain to you my life story. Right. <laughs> what did you think when they told you, okay, we're going to, you're the guy, you're going to, we're going to write a book about you? Uh, So I, it was interesting because it, like I see, see those kind of things as like all of this is a way to make money, right? Right. It's like a, okay, like they're not, uh, they're thinking of like, oh, this is like a nice little timely piece that if we can get this out by WrestleMania 31, uh -huh. which we did not. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. If we can get this out by WrestleMania 31, yeah. this will be a nice little companion piece to WrestleMania 31 and be like, oh, remember last year's WrestleMania? And then it would be in time with kind of this Daniel Bryan DVD release and all that kind of stuff. And it would be a way to sell a bunch of stuff to where that they can make more money. Right. And, you know, and like, so, so that sort of thing. And that like... I'm sure in their minds they're thinking, oh, it's a neat little story. Yeah. Right? And yeah. it is. It's just like a neat little story because my my thing is not um, – it, it's just very unusual how, how – Well, it's yeah, super unusual. Yeah, it's like very, atypical that every single step of the way it seems like except maybe the Ring of Honor stuff. But even the Ring of Honor stuff has been kind of fan-created and all of its reaction to – like organic yeah. reaction to performance. Well, and even even my – so I was, uh, for those of you who don't know, Ring of Honor is an independent c company where I was the champion of for uh, for over a year and then was kind of the top guy for a while. Um, that came not because Gabe Sapolsky, the booker at the time, was like, hey, you're going to be the guy. Mm -hmm. Like, he decided I needed to be the guy because everybody else had left. <laughs> like, you know, like, like CM Punk had gotten signed by WWE, Samoa Joe had gotten signed by TNA. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Jamie Noble, who was wrestling under his real name, James Gibson at the time, he made him the champion, but then he got picked up back again by WWE. And yeah. so it's like, uh, who do we have? Uh, well, Brian's still here. And yeah. like, <laughs> he's sticking around, yeah, I think. he's sticking around, yeah. yeah. So. so it's been this whole kind of like either by default or I guess we have to do this. Everything yeah. is like every, somebody yeah. in an office going, 
Uh, yeah, we have to. I don't know. We don't have any other choice. Yeah, like I'd really like to use somebody better. Yeah. But, but we don't have anybody better, so here's Brian. <laughs> it's, and, it's, and it's interesting, too, because that mentality is so – you talk about in the book about not having a top guy mentality. Yeah. They're like most people come in and go, well, I'm the guy, uh-huh. and I'm better than everybody else, so that's why I'm on top. But even like when you're when you're telling the story about the WrestleMania match, the first WrestleMania match with Sheamus – you're going, yeah, as it turns out, he should have wrestled Rey Mysterio because we were on the pre-show. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're well, so true. aware yeah, yeah, of, like, yeah. what's going on. Like, Sheamus, I don't think this is a good idea. Yeah. You should not pick me. Yeah. Yeah. What is it with Sheamus and WrestleMania matches? Do, uh, they, do you know what? Uh, so, uh, when they, for WrestleMania 30, when yeah. they told me that they, uh, like, Vince pulled me into his office and he was like, I want you to wrestle Sheamus. Yeah. Like, like, and WrestleMania 30 is the WrestleMania that you ended up, ended up main, eventing. main eventing and yes. winning the yeah. world title. Yeah. And, uh, like, at the time, I was very popular, right? Yes. Like, to me, like, at worst, like, third most popular guy on the, the show. Uh, but I sometimes, depending on the building, more popular. But um, it, it was just strange because... Like, I was thinking, like, okay, I've had a really good year. What am I going to do for WrestleMania? And uh, I was really hoping for, like, Shawn Michaels or for Triple H. Yeah. Right? And so when Vince pulled me into his office, I'd like to talk to you about your WrestleMania match. I was like, ooh, what's this going to be? I'd like you to wrestle. Dun, dun, dun. Sheamus. And I have to explain this by saying I love wrestling Sheamus, as we just, we just talked about right. that. But the, we had so – we've already had two bad WrestleMania moments together. Right. As far as like – and not because we did bad, but they were just bad circumstances. Right. The first one was the pre-show. The pre-show. And then the second one was the 18-second match. The 18-second match. And then, uh, and then, yeah. And then I was like, you know what? I the, the last thing the WrestleMania crowd wants to see – Right. Is me and Seamus. Right. <laughs> so, they know what happens yeah. when Seamus and I go to WrestleMania. Right, yeah, yeah. So. Was that ever – what were the plans for WrestleMania 31 this year when you ended up in the Intercontinental Ladder Match? Because after, you know, they kind of had another Royal Rumble debacle somewhat with, with things not going exactly how I would assume they thought it was going to go with another kind of baby face that got booed in the main event. Um was there a thought of you wrestling Sheamus again? Yes, there, there was. was. Yes, there was. There was. This, yes, this year yes. it was going to be yeah, a Daniel yeah, Bryan yeah, and Sheamus. Yeah, they, yeah, and I don't know what the – I think, you know, at some point it becomes like a rib on me. And That's like, what, yeah. And, and not a rib on me, but also a rib on Sheamus as far as, right. as, as like we're going to – But and, and this is the thing. I would love to wrestle Sheamus at WrestleMania and have like a real – a real good match if if both of us are at like if there's a good story to it and that right. sort and that sort of thing. But um, you, you know it's hard because now when you look at WrestleManias, there's so there's already so many guys on them without talking about the guys who are full time guys. Right. Right. Yeah, right, so, right, right. Okay. There's an Undertaker match. There's a Brock Lesnar match. There's a Triple H match. Uh, there's going to be you know so and so is coming back. So and so is coming back. Well then for the full time guys. You How know, much time is there really? Yeah, and so yeah. Uh, so then you're already looking at it and be like, and you're like, well, if I'm wrestling, this is what I was thinking at WrestleMania 30. If I'm wrestling Sheamus, that already puts me at like the fifth or sixth spot from the top. Right. No know? titles are on the line, yeah, and, and it, you know, and so, uh, and so you know that uh, like Sheamus is is really good, and I'd love to get that spot with him at WrestleMania because we're, we are we like each other, and we also have this history together that's interesting. Yeah. You know? But I don't know if it's a history that the fans want to see repeated. <laughs> no, <because laughs> so it just left a bad taste, and yeah. it's kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, I can watch a Daniel Bryan Sheamus SmackDown match because you're gonna get time. Yeah. And you're gonna like you said, you're even, gonna yeah, or, or knock the any, crap out of each other. Any other any other pay per view. Right. right? Right. You know, any other pay-per-view, fans would be very accepting of me versus Sheamus because it would be a very good match. Yeah. But I think the mentality, especially of those fans who come to WrestleMania every year, is like, no, we don't, we don't this want this. This can't happen. <laughs> uh, you were talking about making money. At what point did you become at all money conscious? Because um, you, you were talking, like, in the beginning, when you were wrestling for the independent group Ring of Honor, mm-hmm. you described you said you were you were described as a starving artist, and that's where you wanted to be. And like it, it didn't seem like it was about money, and not that it's about money now, but you know, throughout the book, as you start making money, you start becoming more like conscious of saving money. Yes. So, uh, no, what essentially happened is I got to this point in two thousand nine mm-hmm. where it was just like. It was at the end of 2008, and I had had some injuries. I had detached my retina and, and some other stuff. And I was just like, um, this is no longer sustainable. 
what I'm doing to myself right. for the little money that I'm making. It's not like, uh, and so I kind of took 2009 as my year. I was like, okay, I'm going to try to get to WWE uh, because that's the place where I could make enough money to where when I'm done doing this, I could actually not have to work. Right. Because here, it, here's the big, here's why I even care about money because Bree and I don't live a very big lifestyle is that I have no job skills, right? <laughs> I've been doing this I've been doing this since I was 18 years old. Yeah. Right? Like I like the other jobs that I had, I worked at KB Toys <laughs> and I worked at a uh, video store slash tanning salon. Which is the best name. Right. Video tonight tan today, yes. Yeah. And so uh, you know, uh, like I bailed hay, you know, and as much as I enjoyed bailing hay when I was sixteen years old, that's not necessarily what I want to do when I'm 35 or 40 right. right you know and so and you can't go into a video store and have people be like didn't you used to be daniel bryan yeah, right yeah and so uh you know so then i just became conscious of saving money and now like it's not like now i'm back to not worrying about money because it's like because you've saved enough yeah well and i mean like if enough is uh, dependent on the person, right? Like right. if Steve Austin looked at how much money I had, he'd be like, "That's that's not enough." <laughs> right? <laughs> Clearly, this is not enough money. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, Vince McMahon or, or Triple H or you know any of those John Cena, Randy Orton, any of those guys would be like, "No, Brian, you don't understand. That's that's not enough money." And I'm like, "No, you don't understand." I don't need very much money. <laughs> right. Right. Are you still looking at buying like a micro house? Uh, why would I buy one when I could build one you're gonna, myself? <laughs> of course. That was a dumb question. Right, yeah. <laughs> so you're going to, like, that, is that the plan to, like, once you're, you're going to wrestle until you can't wrestle anymore physically. Is that right? Uh, no. So this is the issue. So I don't know if you've been following, if you're up on your total divas, but Bree <laughs> really wants to have a baby. Okay. And so um, I think when their contracts are up, I think, uh, I know Nikki still wants to to keep wrestling. Bree would like to, but she's she's ready. You know right. what I mean? She's ready to have a baby, and I'm also ready to be a father. You know, like as far as things that are important in my life and that sort of thing. Um, the the battle has been with this the, b- between the two of us is not whether we want to have babies now. Mm-hmm. It's whether or not like there's this struggle of whether or not I would want to be on the road while having a child. You know, so yeah. like uh, I talk in the book a little bit about Ted DiBiase Jr. Right, right, right. I, right. I love Teddy. Like he's such a, a wonderful human being. But one of the things that happened with Teddy is he had a he had a baby, mm-hmm. right? And then he he kept wrestling, and you could just see him get more and more miserable, like just missing his son. And I I feel like it because right, now now you have to deal with bullshit, and there's something at home. It's and, one thing to deal with all this stuff. And it's just like, okay, this is just what I do. Yeah. But when you know you've got a, a, a family at home that you could just pick, I could just be hanging out with my son. Yeah. And like, and just, you know, and just that, that when you, when you have a very strong family bond and family is very important to you, that idea of having to leave, leave your, your son or daughter or anything who's that small and missing all these like little important things, you know? And so like, I don't know how long it was after he had had his son where he was just like, you know. This isn't worth it anymore to me. And mm-hmm. that's, to me, like, I have a huge amount of respect for that, you know? And so, like, but we also, you also have to understand, we have a great number of dads on our on our roster. And, like, Kofi Kingston, you always see him, like, you know, uh, I don't think it's Skyping. What is it? It's FaceTime? FaceTime. Yeah, FaceTime. FaceTime. Face, face with, uh, with his kid and, like, you know, and so we, ha- we do have good dads and, th- like, Nowadays, it's much easier to keep in contact with your kids than it is. But I, I also feel like I don't, I don't want to miss stuff. So right. that all of that to say, um, I the timing of when we would have a child is has been the argument as far as like because Bree now being uh, she's thirty one, you know she'll be thirty two this year, and she's always said in her head that she wants to have her first baby when she's. 32 or 33 and so then it becomes you know with women it's just like it's this it, thing that it, they've created yeah, like, yeah. It, time is not it, it's this weird thing like your age is not the number of years that you are there you actually have like a biological age depending on how you've lived your life and how healthy you are right like, that's why some people live to be 100 and some people live to be uh not 100 right you know <laughs> yeah. and so um and so anyways like i like so i was like oh i don't really want, but i feel like if I can keep wrestling for after we have our first baby, I probably should. Uh-huh. Uh, and and the and the deal is is that I'm passionate about wrestling. I love wrestling. Like even being away from wrestling, I 
I think in terms of wrestling. I'm out gardening and I'm like, okay, like I come up with these ideas and I'm like, I need to do this. The problem is, is now I'm not wrestling. Like every time in my life that I've like think in wrestling and think in terms yeah. of these and I'm, I'm coming up with ideas and all that kind of stuff. And within a couple of days, I can go out there and try it. And yeah. now I just backlogged with just ideas. So what do you do? Do you just write them down? And yes, be, I do. So you have like down. a little notebook of, I, yeah, of, of I have stuff a, that you want to do? Yeah, and Bree gets upset with me for having so many notebooks. But I have like notebooks. To me, this is like this is how I express my creativity is right. wrestling and that sort of thing. And so like, oh, there's different things that I want to do and that sort of thing. And so um, – But it's bizarre at, at the point. And that's something you get from the book is really figuring out how many times – You've had something dangled in front of you, then taken away, or how many times you've come up with an idea that hasn't passed, like that you still have some kind of motivation or passion to do well. It's like crazy. Even the story about you, like getting this cool ring jacket, and then you get to the ring. Like, I don't understand how you can perform when you get to the ring and a referee is yelling at you to take your jacket off because they're yelling in the back <laughs> that Vince doesn't like the jacket you're wearing. You're, oh, man. I'm... Oh, man, I love this jacket. I like jacket. this jacket. How, I thought I looked cool. How am I supposed to wrestle if I, yeah. if I don't look cool in my jacket? I'd be so know? bummed out. Right. Let me take off my jacket. <laughs> yeah. Everybody loves my jacket. Right, yeah. Uh, and, you know what? Like, I don't know. I guess I'm just not bothered by much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, just, you just make the best. It's like, okay. We're going to have you wrestle Charlie Sheen uh-huh. at this pay-per-view. And you're like, okay, cool, Charlie Sheen. And then it's like, okay, that's not happening. Uh-huh. You're like, Instead of being like bummed out about it, you're like, uh, all right, well, then who am I wrestling? What? And then you just move forward. Well, no, the big thing, the reason why I, may, I would, would have been bummed out about the Charlie Sheen thing is that it uh, is if I wasn't on the show at all. Right. Because I had gotten to this point where I was doing title matches with Punk. So this was after the 18-second deal with Sheamus where, like, all of a sudden, like, fans were really getting behind me. They had this true sympathy for me, but I was supposed to be a bad guy. Yeah. So it's like people were, like, really cheering for me, but, like, who – there was only one guy really on the wrestle, uh, on the roster that I could wrestle as a bad guy, and he would get cheered, and that was Punk. Right. And they already did that. And so, <laughs> so then it's like, okay, well, if I don't wrestle Charlie Sheen – which I think would have been an amazing crowd. Yeah, I, they would have booed him out of the building. Yes. <laughs> like he's supposed yes. to be the big good guy. <laughs> but anyways, it, I was just happy that – or I was worried that, like, without Charlie Sheen, who am I going to wrestle? Yeah. Like, at SummerSlam, I'll just be – I just won't be on the show. I guess that's the point. And you, even from the point you come in when you're, like, every time from the very beginning, like, you get hot on the NXT reality show, and then you end up getting fired like that. It seemed like in the book, the first time you got fired, because obviously people know by now, well, wrestling fans know, that you ended up in this kind of segment that was like super, super hot, and everybody was into it, and it was like finally something that people were actually talking about the next day, which doesn't happen all that often anymore Mm -hmm. in WWE. And then you end up getting fired because you choked a guy with his tie. And spit in John Cena's face. And spit in John Cena's face, credit where credit's due. Yeah. Without realizing that those are completely against the rules. When that happened, the wrestling fans were like, this is outrageous, like this can't be real, this has to be storyline, they can't be firing him. But in the book, you were kind of like, okay, well then I'll go back to the indies. Like it didn't seem like it was that earth-shattering to you. When you got fired. Yeah, so realistically, when I first came to WWE, I was kind of expecting bad things to happen. Yeah, maybe like, that's – and that seems like that's kind of the story throughout where – so when bad things do happen, you're like, oh, okay, that's that's kind of what was the, supposed to yeah, happen. The, yeah. The, yeah, so, it, you know, and it's funny because I'm I'm – uh, generally a very optimistic person, right? You <laughs> yeah. know, as far as like – Well, you do it all with a smile on your yeah, face. Yeah, well, well, do you know what? Because – and I guess this is the thing. It's not important. Uh-huh. Right, you know, like I guess. Okay, it, one, and one of the things was is that on NXT when I was on the the NXT deal, I was making less money than I was when I was on the independents. Right, and so it became this thing was like that's the reason why I came to WWE is because hey, I need to save up money for retirement because otherwise I you know I need to find something else to do because it wasn't like you were doing forty minute amazing matches. You're doing right. soda drinking contests yeah, and yeah. making less yeah, money. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And like you know we're we're doing these monkey bars things. And there was one one of the things I, I had to do was a we had to do a monkey bars thing. Uh-huh. And but the night before Batista had power bombed me three times on Raw. So they're <laughs> like, this is a real competition. We need you. We want you to really do your best but you also really need to sell the damage from those power bombs that were taping up your ribs so you need to like struggle through these monkey bars and i was like 
wait a second, what, what are you? That doesn't make any sense, <laughs> yeah. you know. And then you know, like going up and drinking soda. And I don't, I don't drink soda, right. so it's like. Me, it was literally the worst TV ever. I, I was like, watching it. It's, I remember. It's, it's me. Like, I can only do, like, a gulp at a time or so because of the carbonation. And I'm just like, what, what are they doing? Yeah, <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, yeah. All of that to say that when, you know, when Vince calls me to tell me that he's he's fired me, I was like, wow. The, the first thing that went through my head is that um, this was a big deal. Mm-hmm. People are going to be upset about this. Mm-hmm. Like the hardcore independent fans, right. at least. I didn't think it was going to be, they were going to be as upset as people were. Uh, but then from here, I'll be able to make, at least for the next year or two, I'll be able to go to Japan. I'll be able to do all this kind of stuff, stuff that I was doing, but get more, like get paid more from it. And, and you then, figured it was, it was legit over. Uh, I didn't think it was over. I, so uh, when I talked to, like, I thought they'll bring me back at some point. But not anytime soon. Uh, but not anytime soon. I thought it would be a year or two. Okay. You know what I mean? And uh, and actually, in my mind, I was thinking, like, well, this gives me an opportunity to uh, make more money on the independence. Like, just the demand will be more. But then I can also – one of my deals was if I didn't get signed by WWE in 2009, I was going to start going back to school. But, right? I'd wrestle on the weekends. Mm-hmm. But – Start going back to college and start preparing for this life after wrestling. Learn a job skill. Yeah, learn a job skill. Yes. Build tiny homes. Right, right. right. And so, um, so yeah, so, and that was just kind of my plan there, except now it's going to be a whole lot easier because now getting bookings is not going to be a problem whatsoever. Right. So, uh, so yeah, that was kind of my thinking and I wasn't, I wasn't really worried about it. I thought this is awesome and this is cool. And like you go from this, uh, it was kind of a stifling environment at the time. To being able to go and I'd wrestle it for Dragon Gate USA, which is, you know, Gabe Sapolsky's uh, deal at the time. And being able to have like these 30 minute matches that I really enjoyed in front of, you know, in a very intimate setting, which is, I also enjoy. So, yeah. So when they when you get the call back like a couple months later, were you ready to go back? Was that an exciting thing or were you kind of like, well, I mean, I have to go back, but I'm I'm kind of enjoying this part of my indie career. Yeah. So it was it was like a a bittersweet type thing, but there was also this idea because they were bringing me back in the main event of SummerSlam. Right. There was also this optimism that like, hey, they're bringing me back in the main event of SummerSlam. Right. This could be, because being a, uh, more of a top guy in WWE is great. It literally is. Like, for example, like, uh, on all the live, wrestling the live events, and I, I, I tried to describe this in the book and I don't know if it came across Wrestling the live events, the untelevised live events in right. WWE is so much fun, mm-hmm. right? You can you can literally go out there and do whatever you want, and it's in front of a big arena, and, like, you know, it's, like, during the times when I was barely doing anything on TV and you, you think you get really frustrated with that, the live events were the things that, like, mentally kept me sane. Right. It was so much fun going out there. and uh, But being, you know, one of, the, one of the top guys, you go out there and you get to do, like, these... 10, 15-minute TV matches and all that kind of stuff and, and pay-per-view matches. At the time, it, was, it wasn't like it was now where you have a three-hour Raw, so you see multiple 10- to 15-minute matches, you know, every week. Uh, but the top guys would get those 15, 20, 25-minute pay-per-view matches every month. And I thought, yeah. man, if I'm, if I'm uh, main-eventing SummerSlam, Surely, I'm just not gonna <laughs> let the good times roll. Yeah, like, yeah. This is just gonna keep going yeah, from here. Yeah. We started a seven man tag, and then we're gonna keep going. One, of you right, made it, yeah. and then you, and then you get there, and you're like, wait, 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 I gotta get back to that old mentality. Right. Bad <laughs> things are gonna right, happen yeah. here. <laughs> but the first couple months, it was okay because I wasn't expecting to be like the main event guy, but like I was the U.S. Uh, champion for the first couple pay per views, and it was fun because I was wrestling. Uh, I was getting the opportunity to wrestle ten to fifteen minute matches on pay per views. And right. that was, you know, and that that held me in good stead because that's that played to my strengths, you know. And then I just fell off the map. Yeah. <laughs> so you uh, you wrestled this year at WrestleMania, which is weird because I was going to ask you when you were talking about like the idea of the book was really to make it part of a bigger marketing campaign around you returning to WrestleMania after how big last year's WrestleMania was, but. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you weren't exactly – I mean, you were in a big match at WrestleMania this year, but it wasn't the main event. Right. You would think that somewhere the marketing and the show would come together and – No, 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 no. You're putting too much thought into it. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. yeah, you're putting – Because no, why no. are you writing the book about the guy in the opening match? Right, yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's a, that's a question for somebody else. But uh, but also, I think the timing, the timing of everything – 
with just my injury, like because my neck injury and all that kind of stuff, like whatever plans they had, mm-hmm. you know, after WrestleMania 30, mm-hmm. all got kind of thrown out the window because of my neck surgery and all that kind of stuff. So, is that one of these things where you've dealt with what it is and said, at the very least, I've got that. I got that moment. Maybe I didn't have a run with it, but I got that moment at WrestleMania. And if that's the highlight, that's the highlight. Or are you thinking? No, oh. I, I don't. I don't even think in those terms. You that, don't. It, uh, so WrestleMania 30 is something that happened in my life, and it's really, really cool. Yeah. Right. But it's like, okay, like what's you, the next thing? It's not even what's the next thing. What am I doing right now? Right. You know, like right. it, it's like it's very present. Yeah. It, you know, and I think that's. Uh, I appreciate what what happened at WrestleMania 30, and it's super cool. And one of the super cool things about our era is that you could relive it a million times if you want to. Like I could just go on the network and watch it right this second. Yeah. Like, you know, on my phone. I yeah. Just like, you know what? I'm feeling a little bit down. Ah, uh, there it is. Right, right, you know, right. Like, right. Uh, but, you know, um, it, it's one of the things that I really try to do is just, like, live – because you never know what's going to happen. Like, mm-hmm. I can get in a car crash after this, you know, and some – but if you're always looking forward to something else or you're like, oh, you know, that was kind of my – that was my life highlight was this thing back here. Yeah. And, like, eh, I mean, that's not my deal. You did seem – like, I've interviewed you a bunch of times, obviously. You know this. But – when I interviewed you right before WrestleMania this year, it was the first time you seemed kind of annoyed that at what had happened. You seemed like it was—I think it was like two nights before WrestleMania—and it seemed like you were a little more annoyed than usual at your placement or the fact that because you were talking about people not thinking you were marketable. Oh no, no, no! I just know that they don't think I'm marketable. I was actually <laughs> thrilled uh, to be one of the things that I wanted to do when I came back uh-huh. was do something with the Intercontinental Championship, and my big, my big spiel, my big pitch for this thing. Like I, I want to be the Intercontinental Champion, and I only want to be on SmackDown. I don't that really. I don't want to be on Raw. I want to be on SmackDown. Wow! Because one of my things was, I would never have gotten this opportunity to be the World Heavyweight Champion. If there wasn't split brands, uh-huh. right? If there wasn't two titles, if there was just the one main title, they would have never, ever given me that opportunity. But right. because there was two, and then I, I talk about it in the book as far as like with uh, with Mark Henry being champion and stuff. I I was I had the money in the bank deal, and it was only Mark Henry getting hurt that caused me to even cash. Yeah. In cash that in right i don't even know what their plans were I, nobody knows like, right they didn't know what like maybe there what, weren't any there yeah, could have not been plans well, yeah, well, what are we gonna do because we don't want brian as champion but he's got we gave him this thing it's like <laughs> why'd we do this? yeah so <laughs> it, you know and it is funny even when it, you know i describe in the book why they even gave me the case was just because like they wanted to give it to wade barrett but it was too similar to what they were doing on the other side right but, you know so so now you've got this briefcase yeah. that guarantees you a shot at the title <laughs> that you're supposed to win but right. they don't want to give you the title right. so yeah so I just have to carry the briefcase around and not put them on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe people will forget. Yeah. Oh, and it was so weird carrying around that briefcase, too, because, like, somebody like Dolph would just carry his through the airport. Right. It's like, it's a very cumbersome thing to carry around and you can't check it because you needed it all the live events. It's part of your, it's like part, now part of your, your thing. And so like I would try to stuff it into my carry on and then put my gear inside that, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. But no, um, I mean, you'd think they could just throw it on the truck with the ring. And yeah. It would be there waiting for you, but that's again, too logical. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, so, but that was my thing. And also that, um, I knew coming back from my neck surgery that I was not going to be, the top good guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, ju- I just, as far as like the booking is concerned, I'm not talking about popularity. As far as like where placement of people, and uh, one of the things that really that can hurt you if people see you as that, if people want you to be that, and you're not that, is that they can take it out on other people, right? Like taking it out on somebody like Roman when they're trying to push him and that sort of thing. Yes, and and Roman is very very good. Like Roman is, I think. Although there was a little bit of backlash at, at Royal Rumble because he wasn't me. Yeah. But I think people are seeing now, like, all of his matches are really, like, good. Right. And when in, in his promos, when he's allowed to be himself. Right. And not say, like, suffering, sucking cash <laughs> or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, uh, he's really he's really good and he's marketable and, you know, all this all this kind of stuff. And so if you put him and I on different shows, then it's – 
it's better for him and it's better for me. Right? Yeah. And so that was kind of my thing. And I, like the Intercontinental title becomes that other. It, the Intercontinental title. title becomes what it was when I was a kid, where right. it was like I was every bit as excited to see the Intercontinental title match as I was the WWE World title match. Right. right? You know, and so, uh, so yeah, that's that was kind of my goal. And also to elevate other people, right? Because like, hey, they wouldn't, right now they're not going to put Cesaro in a WWE World Heavyweight Championship program with Seth Rollins. Mm-hmm. I mean, they might, but I don't think Probably they Probably not, will. though. Yeah. yeah. They would do that with him and me in the Intercontinental Championship, and it might not be the main event of pay-per-views, but if it carries SmackDown, if that's the main story on SmackDown, yeah. it, it can show everybody. Like, because I think sometimes the WWE doesn't think people are capable of some of this kind of stuff. I don't think they thought I was capable of carrying this, that kind of stuff yeah. until they gave me the opportunity, and it turns out that I was. And until you give him the opportunities, give somebody like Cesaro an opportunity to do that and show that he can do it, you know, like that was part of my thing too. People like Cesaro, people like Cody Rhodes, you know, people like, you know, Ryback. Give them these opportunities to carry a show like yeah. that or carry a program. And uh, it would just be good for everybody and – not only that good for morale, I was hoping. Like, I have, like, all these greater things. I want everybody to be happy at work as opposed to, you know, right. like, I want us to all, like, enjoy it and be like, hey, if I work hard and if I'm good and if I get good crowd reactions, I am going to get further, right? So, so do you like it better when there's a brand split? Like, yes. Yeah. I, I would much rather have there have a, a brand split. And we can do what we want over here on SmackDown yeah, and build like, these yeah, guys but, over here. And and so it's easy to say Cesaro because Cesaro is so, like, awesomely good. That yeah. He, everybody's like. Yeah, do something with Cesaro. Right. right. But I'm even talking about people like Heath Slater. And I mentioned uh-huh. this with in Chris Jericho's podcast. I think Chris, uh, Heath Slater is outstanding. Uh-huh. Right. Like he could be our generation's honky tonk man. Right? Yeah. Like he, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. he is just like this guy who's so entertaining and quirky in his own way. And like he, he's just he's like all the stuff he did with uh, John Cena in the U.S. title. He would come out and say like John Cena is doing this U.S. Open cha- or U.S. title uh, challenge, and, yeah. and so, but Heath Slater would come out every week. John Cena, I'm gonna take that <laughs> title from you. Then he get knocked off the the thing or something. He's great every time he does it. A couple uh-huh. of years ago, he was doing the thing with the the legends coming back to Raw, and <laughs> right. like everything he did was awesome. And like, but not getting an opportunity off of that to do something more substantial. Yeah, you know what I mean to be the the honky talk man of this generation. Yeah. You know? What's it like for you? Because you're talking about all the guys in Ring of Honor kind of leaving, and that's how you got the championship. And then also later in the book, you're talking about being with CM Punk. And when you first started working with CM Punk, that was the first time it was like, oh, those are the Ring of Honor guys. To look now and realize that like most of the most popular guys on WWE TV are Ring of Honor guys. Uh, so Ambrose was never a Ring of Honor guy per se. He was an independent guy, right? And so, uh, but you've got like Cesaro and yep. Seth and Kevin Owens and mm-hmm. like all and Sami Zayn and NXT and mm-hmm. all, all these guys. That it's kind of like, do you feel like where Ring of Honor? You said the idea was to take like the best of the independents and put them all in one place. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's what the goal of NXT is now? No, I think what has happened is because there's so much programming and mm-hmm. like uh, the. You have to look at the str- the struggles that our generation of wrestlers face, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to other generations of wrestlers. One of the things that we have to deal with more than any other generation is overexposure. Uh, as far as like, we have a three-hour RAW and a two-hour SmackDown every week. On top of that, multiple pay-per-views, you know, every, every year. And so, um, the guys who cope with overexposure the best are the people who are used to going out there and doing. 12 to 15 minute matches or longer on the independence and have have this thing where it's like, okay, well, uh, I have experience doing this for a long time. So like, Hey, throw as much TV time at me as you want. There was, there was one week of, of between raw and SmackDown where Roman and I were on 12 segments of television. That's more than a two hour show. (laughs) Right. And so you have to be able to go out there and deal with this, this overexposure. And the people who are best suited for that are, are the, the independent wrestlers, right? Mm-hmm. Because they they know how to vary things up. They know how to change things. Like, okay, I I'm not going to do the same thing, you know, every week, every you know, every match, all that kind of stuff. We, you know, they're used to being like, hey, the hardcore fan base that are the independent fan base, they don't want to see like a best of collection every match. Right. They want they need something different. New. And they they need some they need your character to evolve and they need your wrestling to evolve and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's why I think that those guys 
are very successful now is because it's like, okay, okay, Kevin Owens, you have to go out there and do a 10-minute interview, but then you also have to come back later in the night and do uh, a 15-minute match. And then tomorrow on SmackDown, you also have to do another 12- to 15-minute match. And keep it fresh. Yeah, and like with with Hulk Hogan and all that kind of stuff, one of the reasons why Hulk Hogan was so big is because you didn't get to see him that much. Right, 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 right. right. uh, The old style of wrestling promoting, and that's one of the things Vince even said with his on his podcast about Brock Lesnar. We have to keep him special. Because even if you do that with Brock, Brock is this amazing character and that sort of stuff. But you have to be careful with Brock about overexposure, right? Totally. You can't let him. You don't want him without Paul Heyman to go out there and talk for twelve to fifteen, <laughs> right? And right. then go and do a twelve to fifteen minute match, and then do another twelve to fifteen minute match the next day because then or do like twelve suplexes a match, yeah, every, every night, every every night, yeah. It just be- no longer becomes special. Well, everybody, go pick up the book. It's called "Yes, My Improbable Journey to the Main Event of WrestleMania." And it's, it's, it starts from the beginning. It goes through everything. It's really uh, it's an awesome story. And uh, Daniel Bryan, thanks for hanging out, man. Yeah, here I am. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man. Yep. Here is Sam Roberts. Daniel Bryan, great talking to that dude. Definitely pick up the book if you're a wrestling fan. And if you're not a wrestling fan, I don't know why you would download this podcast. It's called Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. If you don't like me or you don't like wrestling... I have got to question your decision-making skills. But definitely pick up the book. It's uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to read. Uh, and, it, and it really gets into anything. Brian Daniel Bryan is one of my favorite wrestlers to talk to because he doesn't really hold anything back. And not in an intense, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot way. Just in a, like, I'm a dude. And yeah, I'll answer your questions honestly way. You know, he doesn't, he, he, he's not, he doesn't, he's legitimate. He's one of the few guys who comes across the way he actually is, and it's not an act. I think that's that's kind of rare in wrestling, you know, in a, in a in a in a in an industry that's kind of built on bravado. Daniel Bryan, for a top guy, is really just a humble dude that wants to be able to go out there and wrestle. Uh, I, I I'm sure he'll be back. Unfortunately, the only thing I didn't get to talk to him about was tough enough, and I could talk to him for another two hours after that. But I didn't really get to talk to him about Tough Enough. Uh, I don't think he would have said anything bad about the show, but it definitely seems like it's not his cup of tea. I don't know how Daniel Bryan has become like the reality show king of WWE. He's on Total Divas. He's on Tough Enough. He's not even wrestling anymore. He's just a reality show personality now. Hopefully he'll be back soon because I don't think that he was put on this earth to be a reality show personality. Uh, All right. Let's get into it. So much going on this week. I think we all know what we're going to talk about in the state of wrestling. So let's get this thing started. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. All right, there's the bell. State of Wrestling time. I didn't get to mention in the bridge, though, that if you want to support Sam Roberts, you know where to go. ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. You can get a Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast t-shirt, a Not Sam Mode t-shirt, you heard Daniel Bryan. He didn't know what What's the Haps meant. Get yourself a What's the Haps t-shirt. Tell the world that you know. Just because Daniel Bryan doesn't know doesn't mean you shouldn't know exactly what What's the Haps means. Do it all at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. You can also just go to NotSam.com and click on the little shop link on the left-hand side. Uh, now, speaking of Not Sam mode, I don't, we don't have to talk about the Divas again this week. It goes without saying. How excited I am about the Divas. I can't believe the amount of time they're being given on Raw. Not only are they being given two segment matches, but they're being given multiple matches. I do hope that they don't... I feel like sometimes WWE finds something that works, and they just squeeze every last bit of juice they can out of it way too quickly. Hopefully they won't do that here. I mean, they've got a lot to build on, uh, and it's, I'm, I'm very, very optimistic about it. But yes, obviously... I'm super excited at the idea that uh, Sasha Banks was featured prominently on SmackDown, Raw, and Tough Enough with a video package and everything. You all know Sasha Banks is my favorite wrestler. Now the whole world's finding out. I'm glad this podcast exists. Otherwise, I would have just been telling Katie Linendahl by herself, hey, you know, Sasha Banks is my favorite wrestler. Now it's on the record. Now everybody knows that I was on that bandwagon first. Uh, Speaking of Tough Enough, I got a little heat as they say in the wrestling business on Twitter, that I didn't talk about Patrick 
being eliminated from Tough Enough. I, I, I think, you know, everybody can see the flaws on this Tough Enough show. It doesn't really make any sense. I don't think the winner of this version of Tough Enough is going to become a WWE superstar. Uh, they tried, I think, too hard to make it a reality show. I know WWE is not even uh, the production company behind making the show. It's not WWE making the show. It's a reality television company that's making the show. Uh, they've kind of lost the built-in drama that the wrestling business brings and added in all these elements to make it feel like The Voice on NBC or something like that. And quite honestly, no stars in the music industry have come from the show The Voice. So I don't know why we would expect any stars to enter the wrestling business from the wrestling version of The Voice. It's just a show for the sake of a show. Uh, Patrick eliminated last week being the only wrestling fan on the show, the only person that ever watched any wrestling, uh, was already eliminated. And he was in great shape and actually wanted to be there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's gone. I mean, I, I, I'm not taking the show terribly seriously. So, you know, I'm not broken up about anything. I had a little bit of personal interest in seeing Dario win. but And she was also some of the best TV. She was on the podcast a couple weeks ago. But... You know, she got eliminated. Now Patrick's getting eliminated. I guess, I don't know. Maybe the Wookiee guy will win. Who cares? What difference does it make? I guess Gigi's good. I don't think anybody, I mean, I don't, I, I could eat my words, okay? Look, last time they did Tough Enough, the girl who got eliminated in the first week and said Alicia Fox versus Melina was her favorite match of all time was the only one that ended up working in the wrestling business. So what do I know? Maybe I'm way off base, but I would say it's safe to assume that nobody on the show will become a big star. Okay, I think I think whoever wins this year's Tough Enough will be hanging out with Big Andy, Silent Rage somewhere, working a job that has nothing to do with sports entertainment within a few years. So, I don't know. I watch the show because I like wrestling and because I like the Tough Talk show. I like the Tough Enough after show. I think The Miz does an excellent job on the Tough Enough after show. I watch that every week. Sometimes I find myself just watching Tough Enough so I know what they're talking about on the after show. The after show is great. It's just The Miz on stage getting all the contestants to fight with each other and Paige yelling at people for not being passionate. I love the after show. The show itself, I mean, I don't know. But the after show is great. Um, Seeing The Miz, I kind of had a sensation this week... uh, when I was thinking about who would replace Hulk Hogan earlier, like over the weekend, I was like, oh, maybe they get Ric Flair or Bret Hart or, or, or even Mick Foley to replace Hulk Hogan. Who knows what they're going to do? Then right before the show came on, it occurred to me, they'll probably just have Chris Jericho replace Hulk Hogan and have Renee host the thing. It just whoever's in the building. Who's on, who's on our payroll? Okay, yeah, you. Okay, you're, the, you're, the, you're a judge now. You're, I don't know. The, the other person will host then. I don't, I don't know. I don't, there's an empty chair on the stage, and it doesn't look good. So whoever's here, who wants to fill it? Who's wrestled before? Oh, okay, Miz, you look great in a suit. You can do it. I haven't, by the time of this recording, the Tough Enough After Show hasn't started yet. So I do want to see if Miz gets up from his seat uh, to walk onto the stage and host the Tough Enough After Show. I'll bet he will. I'm always happy to see the Miz get gigs. I like the Miz, and I think he busts ass, and he actually shows a desire to be there. Like, he really wants to be there. He wants to do good work. Um, And he tries everything. You know, like, he, behind John Cena, I don't know anybody in that company that does more than The Miz to try to make themselves better and to try to get the company better. You know, I've interviewed all these guys. I've, I've, I've talked to all of them on the mic and off the mic. And, you know, The Miz... I can tell that The Miz does a lot for the company because I have a relationship with The Miz now because of all the interviews that he's done. He does every media tour. He's got to do something. So uh, I like The Miz, and uh, I'm, I don't know. I guess I'm glad he's in Hogan's spot. I'd love to see Stone Cold Steve Austin just take the whole show over, of course. He's the greatest wrestler of all time. But in lieu of Steve Austin, I don't mind The Miz being there at all. Uh, of course, the reason that The Miz is there is because of Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, well, he used the N-word repeatedly on a sex tape with Bubba the Love Sponge's wife. So they decided there wasn't much more that they could do with the Hulkster. 
you know, it's sad. It really is upsetting what's happened to Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan is the biggest star in the history of wrestling. I just said Stone Cold Steve Austin is the greatest wrestler of all time. In my opinion, Stone Cold Steve Austin is the greatest wrestler of all time. But I don't think it's an opinion-based question. I don't think you can argue that Hulk Hogan is the biggest star in the history of wrestling. For better or worse, he is the Babe Ruth. He is the first household name. If you meet somebody on the street and they know one name associated with pro wrestling, it will be Hulk Hogan 100% of the time. Nobody knows John Cena or Randy Orton or Steve Austin if they don't know who Hulk Hogan is. Everybody knows Hulk Hogan. Everybody knows that handlebar mustache. Everybody knows the red and yellow. That's why this thing became such a national story when mysteriously on Friday morning, the WWE erased Hulk Hogan from their website completely. Now, uh, I took a fairly comedic take on it. If you're interested in that, you can go to soundcloud.com slash srshowsxm. Uh, and you, or I think there's some stuff on YouTube, too. You can see what I did on my SiriusXM show as far as it's concerned. But this here is a wrestling show. So we're going to talk about it from the perspective of me as a wrestling fan. I'm bummed out about what's happened in the life of Hulk Hogan. I grew up, and I, you know, I've interviewed him a couple times. He's a sweetheart of a guy. You know, he's always kind of in Hulk Hogan mode. I never really got the sense that I was talking to an actual human being when I was talking to him. So, was he racist when he was around me? No. Was he completely media trained when he was around me? Absolutely. You know, was he still working me when he was around me? I think so. So, you know, my my opinion on whether or not he's a racist person is null and void. But... I will say that I was a Hulkamaniac. I dressed up, and I got him to sign a photo of me in probably 1991, probably like seven years old, dressed up as Hulk Hogan with women's shoulder pads tucked into my sleeves so they look like biceps. Okay, Hulk Hogan was the man. There is no way that anybody can ever deny that growing up, Hulk Hogan was the man. Then... He goes on as he's becoming kind of less the man. You know, we're all growing up and we're all kind of seeing him be like, okay, I remember he was the man when I was a kid, but I'm not a kid anymore. Like, I want cool stuff now. He's not that cool anymore. And boom, he drops a leg on the macho man, lets some stubble grow in, throws some just for men on it, and all of a sudden he's cool again. He's playing Jimi Hendrix air guitar on a weight belt and somehow he's pulling it off. Hollywood Hogan redefined wrestling a second time. Somehow, this guy becomes the biggest heel in the history of the business and revolutionizes revolutionizes wrestling twice. He did it once as Hulk Hogan and then again as Hollywood Hulk Hogan and nobody has ever done that. You find me one person and you can tweet me at NotSam. I'll find a prize for you. I'll get Katie to buy you something. You find me one person that has revolutionized the pro wrestling industry twice. And I don't think anybody besides Hulk Hogan has ever done it. Revolutionized it? No, I don't think so. Uh, So, you know, he was the man for so long and just untouchable. And you look, and who can be at WrestleMania 1 and be the biggest star in the business? Then come back to WrestleMania 18. 18 years later, step in the ring with The Rock and still get more cheers than anyone knows what to do with. Only Hulk Hogan. As far as wrestling goes, that dude is the man. I don't know where it all went wrong for this guy. I don't know if it was, maybe we can date it back to Thunder in Paradise. That was kind of a silly move. Now he was able to recover after that. I watched the reality show. I was entertained by the Hogan Knows Best reality show. It was, you know, stupid and mindless, but it was it was entertaining. Get to know Brooke a little bit. You know, see all the dogs run around the house. Nick's becoming a DJ. I don't know. It was silly and pointless. But then to watch not only a legend, but his entire family fall apart in front of the eyes of everybody that grew up idolizing him, it's like a tragic story. And you could argue that he did it to himself, and he probably did do a lot of it to himself. But ah, to still be paying 
for stuff that you did in the darkest point of your life is really tough. Okay, so, you know, he ends up, he and his wife end up divorced. He can't go back to his house. She's dating some teenager, I think, that looks like a young version of him. He's in the tabloids. People are saying that he's rubbing suntan lotion on his daughter's butt. Then he ends up being videotaped by a guy he thought was his best friend who gave him permission to have sex with his wife. That's Bubba the Love Sponge. He's a radio DJ. He gives Hulk Hogan permission. He says, Hulkster, I know you're having a tough time. Why don't you come have sex with my wife? And the Hulkster is in the deepest, darkest pit that his life has ever been in. You know, his son may go to jail for murder because of a car accident. And I'm not saying, you know, how much of that was his fault, how much of that was his son's fault. That's not really what it's about. What's it, what it's about is the fact that nobody has had that I know of has had that much crap piled onto him at once. To go from as high as you can possibly be to as low as I've ever seen a celebrity is kind of an incredible leap. And to survive all that is pretty insane. Um, but so, yeah, so he, I'm, and, and he's got to regret it now. People say, you know, I try to live without regrets. This one, there's no way you can live without this regret. He agrees to have sex with Bubba the Love Sponge's wife to try to make himself feel better. Bubba's wife was hot. You know, if my friend called me and said, why don't I make you feel better? You could have sex with my wife. I'd probably turn him down and say, that's really, really weird. We don't have that kind of relationship. But I don't know. Maybe things are different in Florida. Maybe things are different when you're friends with a guy named Bubba the Love Sponge. I don't know. But he decides to have sex with this guy's wife. He ends up being videotaped without his knowledge. And then he's on the tape and he's being homophobic, apparently, I've read. If the transcripts are too true, he's being very, very racist. Now the, 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 the tape ends up leaked by his supposed best friend, I guess. Who else could have leaked it? It ends up on the internet. Then, you know, however many years, a couple of years after it gets leaked, he's like, okay, well, you know, I'm suing it. I'm suing you for this. I, I, I've moved past this. This is not the life I lead anymore. How dare you put this out on the internet? I'm suing you. Somehow, years after this tape gets leaked, we find out that he's being extraordinarily racist on the tape. He's dropping N-bombs. I mean, it, it's bad. He's admitting that he's a racist. He says on the tape that he is a racist. It's bad. This gets leaked now years later, and it's like, oh, you talk about something haunting you. It's awful. I don't think most of us, most of you listening, and most of us here together, have probably done things as awful as Hulk Hogan did in terms of uh, uh, what he was doing and what he was saying. But we probably also haven't been as low as the Hulkster was. And if we have, we've all done stuff we're not proud of. Not this far, mind you. I've, I haven't done anything this bad. But sure, I've done stuff I'm not proud of. To have to deal with this and live with it for years, to have it keep coming back and haunting me, sounds like a horrible fate. Especially after Hogan had apparently changed his life he was back in WWE, you know, he was being, a, uh, the, uh, he was an ambassador, he was getting in front of audiences, he was the judge on Tough Enough, he wanted to train for another match, he's got everything going for him, and then this drops on him. I gotta say, I can't blame WWE for getting rid of him, you know, I would have fired him too if I was Vince. What are you gonna do, you're a publicly traded company, and this American icon, has come out and admitted he's a racist. There, there's tape of this American icon that's been leaked to the press admitting that he is a racist person. In 2015, that couldn't be less acceptable. Yeah, you have to let him go. You have to throw him off tough enough. You got to stop selling his t-shirts. You got to have him stop coming into buildings for you. He's no longer an employee. You know, would I go so far? WWE does a weird thing sometimes. Instead of not only depending on... I guess the mood, depending on how seriously they're taking something, not only will they fire a person, 
But they will act as if, okay, you know, this is the WWE universe. And you know who created the universe? God. You know who created the WWE universe? Vince McMahon. You know what that makes Vince McMahon? The Almighty. He is the creator. Which means he is going to re-sculpt this universe however he sees fit. And it feels like they're trying to act. It was one thing when they did it with Benoit. I, I can't say that that was a bad thing. If you're going to erase somebody from history, Chris Benoit is a great selection. I'm glad that his matches are still on WWE Network because that would have been, a, I mean, it, it would his omission from the WWE Network would have probably brought more attention to him than the fact that he's on it. But I don't know if being a racist person on tape and using racist language requires a complete erasure from the history of pro wrestling. I don't think you can act like Hulk Hogan never existed. It's one thing to, you know, remove his merch from your shop. It's one thing to take him off anything that's current. But you go to the Hall of Fame section on WWE's website, and the names go from Howard Finkel to Iron Sheik alphabetically. There is no Hulk Hogan. He is not listed on the WWE's website as being in the Hall of Fame. That's a little severe. You put him in the Hall of Fame. I feel like once you get inducted into the Hall of Fame, it's pretty tough to get knocked out. It's very difficult. Uh, I can't say that I agree with the idea that he's no longer in the Hall of Fame. I can't say that I agree with the idea that he's never existed in the history of WWE, but eh, it's hard to argue the fact that you got to fire him. It's hard to argue the fact that you got to remove him from the company altogether. And it sucks. But when you fall into a place that's that dark, I think it becomes difficult to... You, you can't outlive it. you got to kind of take responsibility for everything that happened when you were in that dark period. That's part of moving on. And I'm sure on some level he's trying to move on. But Hulkster, stop tweeting. That's not how we move on. We don't keep tweeting. Hulk Hogan is sitting there and he's thanking Virgil for his support. What are you doing? What are you doing, Hulk? That's making matters worse. Do not thank Virgil for his support. Do not thank Kamala for his support. Apologize and disappear for a while. That's the only way anybody comes out of this. You apologize, you admit you were wrong, and you disappear until we all find, until Donald Trump says something else stupid and everybody forgets that this ever happened. That's it. Nobody's going to forget about it if you keep tweeting. This came out. There's no way you can avoid it. WWE's got to fire you. Fine. Put out an apology, mea culpa it, disappear, go into a hole for a while, lock yourself in your house, hang out with your wife, try to act like nothing's happening, do not interact with anybody outside of your house, and wait until Donald Trump offends somebody. Then you can come back out. Everybody will forget about it. But as long as you're on Twitter, Hulkster, Thanking Brother Virgil for all his support, dude. It's not helping you whatsoever. Get off Twitter, my friend. Okay? Get back to the training. Get back to the praying. Get back to the eating your vitamins. Get back to the believing in yourself. But don't get back to Twitter. Leave Twitter alone. Act like it's it's 89 again. Act like the mega powers are about to explode. You wouldn't have been tweeting back and forth with Macho and Liz, right? Act like the mega powers are about to explode. There was no Twitter back then. There was no TMZ. Get off the internet altogether. You're a man of a certain age at this point anyway. Act like it, you know? Go home and be an old man for a while. Then maybe you can come back. You know, have we seen the last of Hulk Hogan ever? I kind of doubt it. It's very difficult in 2015 to ever be done with anything. And... I don't think this is the end of Hulk Hogan. He, this was hopefully an isolated incident, at least as far as being on tape goes. I'm sure that he's used that N-word quite a bit. If he's using it that much on this tape, he's probably used it quite a bit. Knock it off. Don't do that anymore, Hulkster. Don't have sex with other people's wives. Check every room for security cameras. Knock it off. Make a change. And, and I mean, at this point, it's only going to do him better. Just get, find out everything that's on that tape. Everything. And don't let these things creep up on you anymore. 
And then, you know, and then maybe the Hulkster will come back. All right. That's it for the podcast. I am bummed out about the Hulkster. Oh, he's an idiot. He is an idiot. But it's a sad thing. It really is a sad thing. I wish he could just... If he had just quit while he was ahead, don't do the reality show. Just drop legs until you can't drop legs anymore and then fade out. But that's not the way it went down, was it? No, it was not. Thoughts and prayers, Hulkster. Thoughts and prayers. Remember, if you want to support Sam Roberts the way Sam Roberts supports Hulk Hogan, go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. That's ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. Uh, we'll talk, uh, once Katie's back, we'll announce the winner of the uh, Tatanka Loves Barbecue competition. The weird hashtags that Tatanka has been getting from all you guys has been making my day. It is truly hilarious. And I love that in the podcast world, things just last and last. It's not like you're doing a radio show and it happens immediately. It's whenever you download the show, whenever you get around to listening to it, you're going to throw hashtags at Tatanka about him loving barbecue. And instead of him being like, what does all this mean? He's just retweeting and going, thanks for the love, guys. Thanks for the love. Oh, I enjoy it. I enjoy it so much. I enjoy all of you. I hope you enjoy this, and we'll see you next week for another Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Toodaloo, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. 